Go. Announcements. <clears throat> you know what's cool? Is we did that uh, last year, the uh, clearing. Hold on. We cleared the cycle cross um, leg. And uh, it's a Saturday. It took like four hours because we just got after it. And uh, we got a note afterwards from the, the person who head up the volunteering. And they were like, we've had people help in the past, but that was the most that had ever showed up to help them out. And it was fun. We got to like weed whack super huge grass and uh, mow this crazy line through a field for people to ride their bikes on. And we got muddy and uh, it was awesome. So if you're into doing stuff outside for giving a, a portion of a day to help out, I don't know how many competitors. There's like thousands, I think. We've had teams before. There's a lot of people. And um, it's, just a cool, it's just a cool way to be together and to, to give back. So uh, Scott, who's heading that up, isn't here today, but he needs to know uh, probably by tomorrow how many are going to help. So if that's something that you're like, you know what, I could be down for a part of my Saturday four hours to hang out, do some work. Um, if you would sign up for that today, that would be awesome. All right? Okay, sweet. Well, um, let's, uh, let's pray and then uh, get into... Um, let's get into the word a little bit together. I've been cooking up something all week, and uh, I'm excited to share it with you. So let me pray first. Father, thank you so much for this morning. I, I'm personally excited um, for the time of year that we are in and coming into where the days are, are a little bit longer, and we're able to be outside in our community, and, and um, I'm thankful for what, get, what takes place on Sunday mornings. I'm thankful, Lord, that we can come together and that I can raise my hands and my voice and I can shout hallelujah to you and that you hear me and that you hear us. And that when we sing to you, when we say words that come from deeper than our brain, but from like our spirits as we sing them to you, you actually receive it as an act of worship. And you are blessed by that. It smells good to you. And Lord, and then we open your word and it pleases you to teach us more of who you are. So Lord, today, we believe you want to teach us something new about yourself. You want to remind us of something that we already know, and you want to give us something new to apply to our lives, to take with us, to put into practice. And so, Lord, we open up our minds, we open up our hearts to receive from you that you want to give to us. We love you. We pray everything in Jesus' name. Amen. Ooh, I could have kept going. I was like, hang the prayer up, dude. You got you to teach the Bible now. All right, so uh, Mark. Chapter 8 is where we're going to be, you guys. Um, I want to teach a message to you guys this morning, and I'm calling it this, the trick to maintaining proper perspective. The trick to maintaining a proper perspective. So we're going to have a little bit of a life hack today. Anybody down to learn something that's going to make your life better? Kind of like having a good perspective on the things that are going on in the world or in your, in your own world. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So in Mark, I want to read to you guys the text and then we'll break it down. Mark chapter 8 and beginning in verse 11. And we'll read for a while. Starting in verse 11, it says this. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him. The him is Jesus. So these Pharisees came, they began to argue with Jesus, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. Verse 12. And he sighed deeply in his spirit. And this is what Jesus said to them. Why does this generation seek a sign? 
Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now, they had forgotten to bring bread. The they here is the disciples that were with Jesus. They had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. Random fact. And he cautioned them, saying, watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And the disciples began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see? And having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of pieces did you take up? And they said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? And as they came to Bethsaida, some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And the man looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And Jesus sent him to his home, saying, do not even enter the village. We'll end with this last part. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. Verse 29, and Jesus asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. There's a lot in there. Each, each little section in there, I could preach on and it would preach really good. I read this whole thing because I believe what is being talked about when you take this passage as a whole is that Jesus is communicating to us perspective. See, perspective is not what you see, but the way you see it. I was thinking this week about how definitions could, could work for different words depending on how you look at it. One that came to mind was, here's the definition, leaning into the unknown. What word does that describe? It can describe faith. The word that I was thinking was adventure. When you lean into the unknown, what's it going to be like? I don't know, but let's go. What if you're scared, though? Leaning into the unknown in an area in your life that is hard or that hurts, it equally defines the word fear. Depending on how you see the unknown, your perspective of the situation is going to determine your outcome or what you do about it. That is the power of perspective. So much of what we do is based on what we perceive about a person or a situation. Those people. Where do we get the those people in our mind? It's a perception. Now, the key verse in this whole thing that I think the whole text teeter-totters on, the fulcrum point, is when Jesus says in verse, in verse 17, he said, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive, this is perspective, 
Do, is you, do you not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Jesus is going to take these things and bring clarity to three different things throughout here. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We are going, I'll give them to you first. Jesus is going to teach us the perception of how to see his kingdom clearly, how to see ourselves clearly, and then how to see Jesus clearly. It's simple. Let's look at it. Let's look at see the kingdom clearly. Back in verse 11, the Pharisees came and they began to argue with him. Anyone ever argued with Jesus before? It doesn't go well. He tends to allow us to do it. But here's what they were arguing with him about. It says, they were seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. They were testing him. They wanted him. So, And then it says, and he sighed deeply in his spirit. Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to you guys. And he left them. What is it that he is wanting them to see? Well, it says, first of all, they came to him disputing him and they were testing him out of unbelief. It's as if they were saying, hey, if you really are, prove it. Now, we didn't teach it because it's very similar to the feeding of the 5,000. But if you look just up above the page in your Bible on what the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, what had just happened? Jesus just fed another mass multitude of people. Did you, he, did you hear what he said? How many baskets did we pick up when I fed 5,000? And they said 12. And he goes, how many did you pick up after I fed the 4,000? And they said seven. Just before this, he had fed uh, four, another 4,000 men minus women and children. So another huge group of people Jesus miraculously fed immediately following these people come up to him and they say, they're not de- uh, debating the mar- miracle that happened. They're like, prove that your way is better. Prove that you're God. Prove that you are good and not just able to do something. So they're testing him. Prove it. And it says that his response is so interesting. Because he could have done so many things, but it said, and he sighed deeply in his spirit. You know that what that actually means? It says from his innermost parts, his pain became visible. There was a deep grief from within, or a, I wrote it like this, grief from deep within. When it says Jesus sighed, he wasn't mad. He wasn't. He was, he, was, he was sad when they came to him, and, they, and his only desire is to help people, to bring life to people. We were singing about it this morning. And people, their perception is that his kingdom is bad. And he's, it makes them sad. They just don't know. Do you not understand, he said to them? So why did he tell them that they would receive no sign? It's because their tone of voice and their approach to Jesus was one of arrogance. It wasn't because they had doubt. We all have doubts. We'll talk about that more in a bit. But it was because of their hard hearts. It was because of their arguing tone. You ever tried to have a conversation with someone who just wants to talk and doesn't want to listen? (laughs) So difficult. That's why a great amount of harm has happened from people who stand on corners with signs about what God says, but there's no ability to have a discussion or talk. People won't stop and listen. They just want to be heard. Now, Jesus will always take time to listen. And so much of what I do up here, it's not just conveying information to you. It's introducing um, the person of Jesus. When Paul says, 
the whole counsel of God. It's not just I told you what every book of the Bible meant. It means after I was done with you by God's grace and our time together, you knew fully the person and work of Jesus Christ in your life and in the world. That's the whole counsel of God. Not just what he said, but who he is. That's why the book of Mark is so awesome and why we've entitled this whole series The Face of God because it's not just about the teachings Jesus taught. It's about the actions that he did, the things that he showed us and still shows us. And he has a real hard time getting across to people who give him no ground to get across to, hard hearts. Matthew, actually, the Gospel of Matthew, which is the book before Mark, adds some helpful language for us, some, some words that aren't found here, but they're found in Matthew. We'll put them up on the screen, but it's Matthew chapter 16, verses 1 through 4, talking about the same event, and it says, And the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and, and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. And he said to them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the sign of the times. Here's some of the language I'm talking about. Verse 4, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. And he left them and departed. He's like, it seems like you guys understand how to put the pieces together when you look at the weather. Yesterday, Jonah and I went for a bike ride. Actually, we got ready for a bike ride. We loaded the bikes on the truck. We got in the truck. We drove to the trailhead. It poured rain on us for 20 minutes. We sat there looking at each other like, should we do this? Then we both said, no, let's go home and watch a movie. So then we <laughs> drove home. But as we were driving to the trailhead, it was nice in town, and we started driving south, and I looked up, and the nothing was coming at us. <laughs> Any never-ending story, people? Okay. The nothing was coming, and I'm like, ooh, it looks wet over there. That's what Jesus is saying. You can look at the storm and see that rain is coming, but you can't perceive what is happening by the things that you see around you. The only sign that will be given to you is the sign of Jonah, which is an odd thing to say unless you know what he's talking about. So what is the sign of Jonah? Well, do you want to tell him? My son, Jonah. Um, the sign of Jonah, simply put, is the person of Jesus. Jonah, Jesus says in another part of Matthew, as Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man be. It was a portrayal, really happened, of what Jesus was going to do. He said, you guys are asking me to prove it. My proof to you is the sign of Jonah, his life, death, burial, and resurrection. So you could think of it like this. The sign of Jonah that Jesus is talking to them about, it's not getting the sign you want, but seeing the sign that has already been given. It's not getting, prove it. God, prove it. He's saying, I proved it. Do you not see? And that's the part of a, of a hard-hearted, arrogant approach that Jesus is, is talking about. Let's move into the next part, picking it up in verse 14 uh, of Mark 8. Now they had forgotten to bring bread. So he leaves that scene. And he takes the disciples we're going to look at this whole thing at, at one, at, in one um, foul swoop. That's the word that's coming to my mind. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. Seems like separate occasions, but it fits together. And Jesus cautioned them, saying, Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they have no bread. Like he says this, they're like, we have one thing of bread. What were we thinking? And Jesus does a Jesus thing where he says something that seems to not matter or match up with your life. Watch out for the leaven. They're like, whatever. 
So what are we going to do about the bread, you know? That makes no sense. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have not bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? And then he says, You have eyes, but it's like you don't see. Same thing as he said to the, to the, um, to the Pharisees in the previous part. You have ears, yet you do not hear. And do you not remember? And then he says um, things about proving it, what he has said. Jesus said to watch out for this perspective. There's something about what the Pharisees did and Herod or the Herodians. That could even maybe your translation of Bible says the Sadducees. There is something that Jesus is pointing out that he wants us to watch out for when it comes to having a perspective about the kingdom of God. Leaven in the Bible is always bad. So whenever you read about it, it's bad. It's only good in bagels <laughs> and bread. But I used to know some people, they moved away, they owned a cafe, and they made killer bagels. And they said, you know the, the scripture that says a little leaven leavens the whole lump? I'm like, yeah. And they're like, how much leaven do you think you have to put in to make bagels? I'm like, I don't know, a little. And they said 50 pounds of flour, 5 pounds of salt, and 8 ounces of leaven or something. Just a little bit. I was like, wow. They gave me a recipe for bagels. I think that's what it was. You'd have to Google it to know for sure or call Todd because he could tell you. But I was like, it, was, it really is. You add a little bit, and it works 50 pounds, 8 ounces, 50 pounds of flour. So there is something that is bad, something that starts out small and spreads to everything that Jesus is telling his disciples that they are showing in some of their comments that they need to watch out for. What is it? It was their perspective of the kingdom of God, even his followers. Now, the Pharisees and the Herodians, or the Sadducees, there's different words given for the Herodians and for Herod there. Let me tell you what it is. It's a religious system and a political system. That's what he's talking about. When it comes to your view of the kingdom of God, be careful about this religious system that's being given here and this political system that's being talked about here. They, it's, it's leavenous to your spirit into your perception of the kingdom of God. Now, both of these people were fully convinced of how the earth should be ruled. They were both fully convinced they were right on how people should be governed, on how church should be run, on how things should be done in a correct way. They were fully convinced in their own mind, so much so that they told Jesus, prove your way is better than ours. Now, that's a tough place to be and that is an arrogant prideful place to where when Jesus doesn't even have any say in how you do your church or he doesn't have any say even if you say your your ruling system is about him that he would actually say watch out for this system it's like leaven and it's bad and it's going to spread the pharisees they knew how people should be ruled by religion. In the church, there's a word for this. It's called legalism. It means let's make everybody like us. Everyone needs to do it our way. And it produces a prideful spirit that says if you don't do it like us, you don't do it as good. Jesus is saying that's, can I use a different word? Cancerous. Starts out small, but it spreads and it's deadly. Now, Herod, the Herodians, this is a political system. They knew how to govern everything. In their mind, their political rule, it's the same intention, make everyone like us. And that's equally bad when, you, when you're just trying to make everyone follow the same thing. If you're this way, you're good. Theirs was like a a Jewish-ruled kind of political system. Enter any political system in the world. 
you try to make everybody like that, it's just this ultra-conforming thing, and it's bad. This is what he's talking about. Your perspective, not what you see, but the way you see it, it directly affects what you will do about it. The whole point that he was saying that is bad is these people so certain on what is right and wrong and what they should do. Here's what he's saying. Their perspective, they are at the center of their worlds. Their world revolves around them. When your world revolves around you, it will be leavened to your soul. It'll start out small, but when your world revolves around you and every decision you make bases, is based on how will this affect my pocketbook, how will this affect my time, how will this affect my happiness, how will everything is based around you, you become like this. You try to make people just like you, and if they aren't, they get pushed away because it affects you. It, it, and it spreads to other people. I, when you are at the center of your world, you will treat people like outsiders. That's a, not a great perspective of the kingdom of God. And it's missing the point of who Jesus is because it's not what he did. That's seeing the, the kingdom of God clearly. It's not, it's not about you and your system. It's about something else. The thing, second thing he wants to show us is seeing yourself clearly. Verse 22, and they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him. This is, this is rad because this, I almost just read this little portion of scripture and said, everything I'm going to teach on, here's a snapshot of it because this is a picture of the whole message. So check this out. And they came to Bethsaida. And people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. They didn't beg Jesus to prove that he was God. They just said, will you touch him? And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Like his, he was fuzzy. I see shadows. Then Jesus laid hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And Jesus sent the man home, saying, don't even enter the village. Now, this is a story of a man, but I just want to submit to you, this is your story, too. This is mine, too. This is a story of every person in the kingdom of God. It's a three-part story. There's blindness, there's partial sight, and there's complete sight. Jesus desires that we would see ourselves clearly, see the kingdom clearly, and then he brings in this on purpose, this interaction, because he's going to talk to his disciples, and they're going to say something super dope here in a second, but he's working all of it out to get this response that we're going to end on. Blindness. This man was blind. Let me just tell you something. We are all blind because of something that has happened to us in the past. This man wasn't born blind because... Jesus said, can you see? And he's like, I can a little bit. Everything looks like trees. Well, how do you know what trees look like? So he knew there was something. He probably wasn't born blind. There was sight at some, at some point. All of us, there is a blindness to the spiritual things that we are talking about when it comes to Jesus and the kingdom of God. This is what I believe more than anything. It's not that, they, that Jesus said from the cross, forgive them, Father, he didn't say, for they are wretched, awful people, and I don't like them that much either, so I guess I got to die on the cross. He says, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they're doing. They don't understand. They do not 
perceive. There is something that is missed that Jesus wants to show. This is what I believe. People don't dislike Jesus. They just don't know him yet. I treat every passage of scripture. I treat every person I meet, every encounter, every church gathering as this. Not let me just tell somebody more stuff about Jesus, but let me help them understand the person and work of Jesus more. That's why great figures who have gone before us have said things like, Jesus I get. It's the church that's hard to understand. Because we're always trying to just, not always, sometimes we try to just convey more information and we just need to step into the transformation of what Jesus is doing. Okay, so we're all born blind at some point. Uh, we're all blind because of something that has happened to us in life past. Whether in our lifetime, some of us have done some things that we look back and we're like, that was evil. I know whether you're a fo follower of Jesus or not, there are people I talk to and I've heard this. Why would God? I un some people say stuff like this. I understand some of the stuff you're saying and it really is doing something inside, but why would God want me? Because I did this or did this or did this. Their perception of themselves is that they are unworthy of God's love. When you perceive yourself that way, the way you live comes out of that. Some of us have experienced stuff like that in our life. That's, for me, that's easy to teach to because I just got to tell someone, oh, well, you need to stop living based on how you see yourself. Let me tell you what Jesus thinks about you. One of my favorites, and someone's like, I don't even believe in God. I'm like, well, he believes in you. <laughs> it's helping us to perceive that our life isn't based on what we think, but on what Jesus sees. But the harder one is for the person that says, well, I don't have some radical testimony. I wasn't addicted to drugs. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. Just kind of a normal thing, and I'm just doing my own thing. Yeah, life is sort of centered around me, but why? Should I believe in Jesus? We are all, if we are all born blind or if we all have blindness at some point, either from your life or from the first life, because it says through Adam, sin entered all of mankind. And so there was a blindness to the perception of who we are and who God is in the very first lifetime, and it came from the devil himself. There is a blindness that is leavened, spread to all of mankind. And it's not telling people more stuff. It's helping people see Jesus. We all have blindness. Partial sight. What's up with this story? Jesus takes the man out of the... I've heard good messages on some of this and like what it means. He took the man by the hand let him out of the village, and when he had spit on his eyes, and Jesus' spit means this, and laid hands on him, and he said to him, do you see anything? I heard that this is really hard to translate in other languages, because Jesus heals three different blind people in the scriptures. He does each one differently. Spit is involved in two of them, I think. One of them, he hawks a loogie on the ground, and he like mixes it up with a, his finger and then he puts it on the guy's eyes like salve and tells him, go wash in the river. This one, it says he spit on his eyes. I heard it was hard to translate this. Uh, I was at a conference and a missionary or a Bible translator. And he said, and he used this as an example. And when they were translating it into the language, the people wanted to know, well, what kind of spit? Was it like a, or was it like a, <laughs> you know? Just, and Jesus hawked a loogie right on his eyeballs. In my notes, I put partial sight. How did Jesus give you partial sight? 
You're like, I don't remember him spitting on my eyes. I'll tell you, he will, I'll tell you what he did do. He Take the spit out of this. Listen to what he does to this man. Took the blind man by the hand. Led him to an isolated place. And he gave him more understanding. A little bit of vision. A little bit of sight. So, I put... Jesus takes each one of us out of the village to a desolate place with him and does strange things in our lives that help us to see him more clearly. See, that's the problem with trying to make everyone fit into a system. Is here's the system that we know. Jesus is real. Jesus loves people. He wants the world to see him for who he is and see themselves through his perception, and he does that individually, one person at a time. He takes us. That's how good he is. He doesn't say, oh, yes, line up over here. Those that want to know me, get in this line. Those that, you know, don't, over there. That's not what scripture shows us. It says that he leaves the 99 and goes after the one. Jesus loves long shots. Praise God for that. Otherwise, I would not stand here before you today. Jesus takes us out of the village one by one, and he shows us the sign of Jonah. What you need, what brings sight, is death, burial, and resurrection. You could preach that information to someone all day long, and they could be like, what? But when you start to live your life through the perception that Jesus lived to show you a way, gave his life to pay for what you cannot pay for, and rose from the dead to show you he can breathe power in eternity into your life, it changes the way you live. We see things. Paul, the Apostle Paul, is wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Scholar, my man, he, I mean, he wrote theology by the Holy Spirit. He wrote all of this stuff that we study and, and talk about. But you know what he said about him? Check this out. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I forgot to give this verse, so I'm going to read it to you, but jot it down. Read it later. Let it like minister. Let it, let it spit on the eyes of your heart at a later time. That's good. I'm going to use that from now on. Um, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 12 and 13. Paul writing. He says this. Now we see things imperfectly. Right now, we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections through a dark glass, like trees. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. He says this, all that I know now is partial and incomplete. On this earth, all that I know is partial and incomplete. But then... I will know everything completely, just as God knows me completely. So he's talking about what doesn't last forever, and then he says, three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. And then he goes into the love chapter, love is patient, love is kind, is rad. This is giving context. This is Paul. He's saying stuff like this. I perceive that God is good. I believe that God wants me to give my life to him and to others, and all things I do are not based on what revolves around me, but what revolves around the kingdom of God and the person of Jesus. He's like, I believe that. But then he says, there's so much stuff I don't understand. And he says, I actually, you know what it is? I'm partially blind still. So if we try to take and figure and put into place everything that's broken and wrong in this world into a system, you're going to be so frustrated and it's going to be like leaven to the joy and contentment in your world. But if you can say, you know what, there are things I don't understand. Would you know that that's okay to follow Jesus and say stuff like, I don't know why. There's a war happening right now. 
you know, I was praying last night and thanking God for my kids and my wife and you guys and thinking about today. And how can you not just be like, you know, there are people that would love nothing more than to go to church with their family tomorrow, but they don't have a church anymore. It got exploded. Or their home is gone. Or they're trying to flee this country in which they didn't ask to be born there, just like you didn't ask or to be born here. There are certain things it's hard to wrap your mind around, like, Lord, why do you have it work out this way? But then we see the scripture that says, don't lean not on your own understanding. Don't fit everything in your world into this place where you understand it perfectly, but have the perception of the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and all of these things will be added unto you. I think I just mixed a few verses, but that's okay. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge God and he will direct your path. I just had a little Proverbs 3 and a little uh, Sermon on the Mount mixed in. Here's the other thing about this blind man. And get this, some of us need to hear this so bad. Perception change comes in stages we change in stages there are things who said this if i knew then what i know now i would have done it differently i say it man i wish i would have known this so we tell our kids stuff but we want to tell them with the right tone instead of you know, scaring the heck out of them about every corner that they're going to come around that the devil's waiting for them. But we say, hey, here's some decisions that I made that were really, let me, I'm going to help you out here. Here's the way I saw things. And we want, but we, change happens in stages. It's so beautiful because I look out and you know what I see? A hundred and some odd, however many of us are in here, I see that many people in process. You're not where you once were, and you're not where you're going to one day be. You're right where you're at. This sounds like a coffee mug or something. <laughs> but it's a, it's, a, it's, a good pla- it's a good place to be if you perceive. You know, Aristotle, I read a quote that Aristotle said, or excuse me, uh, Socrates, or as Bill and Ted call him, Socrates. In his day, he made a statement that he was the wisest of the Athenians in Athens, Greece. And he made a statement, I am the wisest of the Athenians. And that shocked everybody because he was a humble man. He said some radical, really cool things. He was a very humble man, so they asked him what he meant. And he said this, well, there are a great many of the Athenians who think they know, and I know that I do not know. And since I know that I do not know, I am the wisest of the Athenians. See, Socrates, what made him so wise is that he knew there was stuff he didn't know. Everyone came to him for answers, and he's like, I don't know. But it was the people who knew they knew. We're all in process. There are things that we don't yet see. But there are things that we see very clearly. One day we will see clearly. So in the meantime, can I just tell you this? It's not that you need to see. I'm going to preach to myself for a second. It's not that I need to see everything clearly. I just need to clearly see him who does. The Bible calls Jesus our chief shepherd and overseer, the one who has factored it all in, who sees everything perfectly, and is asking us to trust in his sight. That's called faith. It's not letting the things you don't know deter you. It's letting what you do know change the way you perceive and walk and interact with people and go about life. All right, last but not least, see Jesus clearly. Mark 8, we'll end in verse 27 through 30. And he went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and along the way he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, he was a prophet. 
and others say, one of the other prophets. And then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And then we get this answer that's beautiful. Peter said, you are the Christ. Like, you're the one. Every movie ever made comes from basically this, this principle that we learn in Scripture. There's good and evil. Good prevails. Our hope is in this one. So this is so matrixy right here. When all of a sudden Neo like stands in the hallway and they shoot him and he's like, no. And the bullets fall. And then everyone's like, he is the one. This is Peter's Neo moment where he was like, it's you. Now, he's going to mess up because he's in process. Just next week, I think, or the week after, we, we, Jesus will say to Peter, get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. He gets it in this moment. There's this growth, growth, not gross. This, there's a growing step that happens in his life right here. Two steps forward, one step back next week, such is life. But he's like, you're the one. Matthew adds for it, and it says, and Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. Somebody didn't tell you more info about me, and you were like, but he says, but my Father who is in heaven, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Okay, so what's the life hack? What's the trick to maintaining proper perspective in my life and in our world? What is the difference between the unbelief of the Pharisees and the Herodians and the unbelief of the disciples? We don't have any bread. What are we going to do? Jesus is like, are you going to be like those guys? Don't be like those guys. So what's the difference? Here's the trick to maintaining proper perspective. I could have done it in one sentence at the beginning, but we had a time clock, so. So it's one word. You want to maintain good perspective in your life? Have humility in your heart. The word arrogance means to exaggerate one owns worth or importance. Make your world revolve around you. You know what's best. Humility is saying Jesus knows what's best. Because we all have doubt. It's what you do with those doubts in God. Arrogance takes those doubts and approaches God, takes those doubts and approaches God with arrogance. Prove it. Humility takes these doubts and brings them to God. Can you do something about it? It's tone. It's approach. It's the way you perceive. Not what you see. We all see doubt. We all see things we can't answer. It's what do you do with that? Humility says, Lord, can you do something? Who do people say that I am? Jesus, in essence, is saying to these guys, hey, where do I fit in people's world? Where do I fit? Some people are like, well, you say some good stuff. Confucius say, Socrates say, Jesus say. There's some good stuff in there. There's some hard stuff, some stuff we don't understand. And then he says, okay, who do you say that I am? Where do I fit into your world? And the way you answer that question will direct the course of your life. Jesus were standing in front of you today and he would say, hey, here's some things that I've done. Here's what my word says. Here's some information. I want to show you more of my heart toward you, what my kingdom is all about, what, what, what submitting to me is like. And then he said to you, who do you say that I am? The way you answer that question will be like the on-ramp to the highway of your life and the decisions that you make.
If you want your life to be transformed, I would say, put Jesus at the center of it. If you want to see Jesus work in your life, if you want to understand his heart more, if you want to know what it's like, if you want to know him more, I would say put him at the center. Transformation comes when Jesus is at the center. So that's why, do you understand? That's why we do, talked about it last, that's why we do communion. Communion is, in essence, a recentering. It's a remembrance and a proclamation. It's saying it's about the, what you did, Jesus. And so we take it, the juice, and we take the, the bread. We remember the work of the cross. We remember the life of Jesus. That's why we give of our money uh, financially to the work of the kingdom of God. It's not to, you know, tip God or tip the pastor for a good message or to be like, oh, you know, this, they're doing some good stuff in the community. Let's throw the church a few bucks. No, it's to recenter our lives around Jesus. Here's what I don't understand, Lord. Boom, 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 boom. Here's what I do know. You are good. You are faithful. Your word says that you will take and I will receive blessing. That's, that's faith. So I recenter my financial world around you. It's based on you. So we give as an act of worship and faith, but it's saying it's more about, it's like you'll handle it, Lord. That's why I give. And I've never, ever, 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 ever regretted it. Even when you give and you're like, woo, you know, and it's, it's like a bit of a sacrifice. God is so good. That's why we take time out of our week and we come together. Why? It's not to be part of a club and make everyone think like us, be like us, all that stuff. No, it's to recenter a community around the person of Jesus. That's what church is. And that's why it's so rad to see a diverse group of people come because we can come with all these stories, all our different stories of how God cured our blindness and we sort of partially see and all of the stuff, but we do it together. And that's what, that's what church is. So as we close right now and pray and sing this last song, just know that you are one unique voice from a whole body of God hears you specifically. And then after we sing the song, I'll come up and close us out and give us an opportunity to pray together. But um, man, let's take and make our hearts one as we, as we respond to Jesus with this song. So Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time. Lord, we ask, we just, we, we ask, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Would you come? Would you help us to recenter uh, around you, Lord? We believe that you see all things. And when you look at each one of these people in this room, you see your masterpiece, your beloved. And we love you too, Lord. So we sing to you now in response. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.